Hi everybody, I just wanted to say hello after a long period of silence. After all, I feel some responsibility to my huge worldwide audience, which consists of about 10 people. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is really true. I have only about 10 listeners. But this is completely fine. I'm not doing this to grow a huge audience. One purpose of this podcast is quite selfish, actually. I just want to have a record of my ideas, which may be interesting to listen to when I'm getting older. And also I received response from, I think, four listeners, which I really tremendously enjoyed. So this alone makes it worthwhile. Anyway, the reason why I became not so productive anymore in terms of podcasting is that I started visiting again my sports club. My first visit to the club after Corona was, I think, on July 1st. And I immediately enjoyed it very much again, just like before. However, I also realized that this activity costs a lot of time. I mean, the training itself, in my case, only takes about 30 minutes because I don't do any breaks. However, the sauna afterwards uh, usually takes for two hours. So it's a big chunk of time, which is taken away. And before I went to this club seven times a week, and now I purposefully reduced the number to only four. So this is a compromise. But still, even these, these four visits per week reduce my spare time. And this is one simple reason why I don't have so much time for podcasting anymore at least for the time being, because I guess in autumn or winter we will have the next corona lockdowns. So this episode doesn't have any central topic. I think I will just talk about some of the interesting ideas I heard in various podcasts and YouTube videos. But before that, I would like to mention that I achieved a little personal breakthrough in my life satisfaction. I'm pretty sure that in the former episodes I must have mentioned my boredom and this feeling that nothing really interesting is happening in my life. And I always wondered, how can this be? After all, I'm a scientist and I'm really constantly checking the internet for the latest breakthroughs in science and there's a lot happening. So compared to other people who may have more normal jobs, My life should be highly interesting. And don't get me wrong, I highly enjoy my own research work every day. There are always some interesting puzzles to solve and some new insights to gain. So on this level, I'm completely happy. But on a deeper level, there was something missing. And to cure that problem, I thought maybe I should spend much more time with my other two great interests, namely music and meditation. But as so often in life, these rational plans don't really play out. For example, I found that I can only play piano when I'm momentarily in the mood for it. And this usually happens not more than one times a week. And meditation I'm already doing every single day for 20 minutes and trying to meditate more didn't help in my case. It contributed to a calm and peaceful mind state, of course, but this was not what I'm looking for. 
And then, about a year ago, there happened this flip of myself from a materialist to a more idealist worldview. And together with this development, I also became much more critical about what we already know from science. And at the same time, I became much more open to what we don't yet know. And suddenly, a whole bunch of topics which have been more or less taboo for me for many years suddenly became available. And I'm talking here about weird things such as altered states of mind or parapsychology, UFOs and all these other fascinating anomalies which are outside of present science but probably inside of future science. And all these quite dramatic changes in my worldview happened automatically, without my conscious planning. But once it had happened, I found out that this was exactly what I was looking for. The point is simply that I'm a type of human being for whom thinking about the world is really very important. The joy of thinking is something which is very dear to my mind. I also like very much to stop thinking during meditation or during improvising jazz, But definitely, I also need periods where I can make rational arguments about the world. And the reason why I felt this boredom before was that the standard science simply was much too narrow to think about the world in an appropriate way, namely an open way, which does not from the beginning exclude some possibilities. You know, there's a mathematical method called Bayesian model selection. And the purpose of this is to compute how the probabilities for certain hypotheses are changing as new data comes in. In this method, you have a set of possible hypotheses and there is a so-called prior probability for each of them, which quantifies your personal degree of belief in this hypothesis given your momentary knowledge. And then some new fact comes in. You, you learn something new about the world. And after this new information comes in, you have to reevaluate the probabilities for all your hypotheses. And these updated probabilities then are called the posterior probabilities. What you practically do in this bias formula in order to update a probability is to multiply it with something called a likelihood factor. So this is a detail we don't need to go in, but the point is that you multiply your prior probability with a number. And this number can be larger than one or smaller than one. So increasing the probability of your hypothesis or decreasing it. However, if your prior probability has been zero, you can multiply it with a factor as large as you want. You will never get a larger probability in the future. In other words, possibilities which you ascribe with a zero probability have no chance to grow in belief, no matter what kind of data comes in. But this is basically what scientists have done with many possibilities. They have assumed it outright impossible that consciousness may be fundamental to the universe or that something like parapsychological phenomena exist or that UFOs exist. 
And for this reason, even though in the last decades a huge amount of evidence has been collected which supports these ideas, and I'm not only talking here about some uh, eyewitness reports, I'm talking about scientifically sound measurements, even though this evidence exists, scientists have ignored these facts, simply because they didn't want to fundamentally update their materialist or whatever worldview. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know that since I started to engage with these former taboo topics and to take them seriously as possibilities, you know, I'm, I'm not saying all this is true, I'm just saying it's worthwhile and even necessary to engage with these topics and to be honest about them and to evaluate them in the same scientific spirit like we have evaluated everything else. Since I started engaging in these things, I feel much, much better. I really feel like a huge horizon of possibility has opened in front of me. My sailboat, so to say, is no longer cruising in a small lake, but in the huge ocean. And I feel that there are some faraway continents to be discovered. And this, this feeling of a possible completely different future which is waiting for us. This really gives my life meaning. While you have experienced this little music break, I have been visiting my sports club. And now all my muscles feel tired and completely relaxed. Let's talk a little bit about UFOs. Since I'm a newcomer to this field, I have a lot to discover. And for this purpose, I'm listening to a podcast called That UFO Podcast, which has a Scottish host with a rather nice accent and also rather interesting guests. But also recently the Theories of Everything podcast is talking more and more about UFOs. And the host of this podcast, who is called, if I pronounce this correctly, Kurt Jaimangel, has a very interesting way of interviewing the people. He tries to understand really what the guest is saying, and therefore he is not ashamed to, to ask questions over and over again. And one highlight in his podcast series, at least in my opinion, was when he interviewed Louis Elizondo. So by the way, if you uh, see any interview with Louis Elizondo, it's almost guaranteed to be interesting. So this is a guy I really trust in the field of UFOs. But what I want to talk about now is an interview between Kurt Jaimangel and Kevin Knut. This is a physics professor. My first point of contact with him was one of his papers where he looked at some of the famous recent UFO sightings. He collected all data he could get from eyewitness reports and from measurements. And then he took into account also the uncertainties of all these parameters. 
And using Monte Carlo simulation, he then tried to figure out some other interesting uh, variables of the system, such as the uh, acceleration of the UFOs, which in some cases turned out to be larger than 5,000 Gs. They also talked about this paper in the Theories of Everything podcast. But most interesting, I found some uh, ideas of this Kevin Knut, which I had never heard before. They talked about the following problem. If the UFOs are really alien spacecrafts, and if these aliens are capable of interstellar travel, then they must run into trouble with relativistic time dilation. Because if one of these spacecrafts is starting from their home planet, is accelerating very quickly, reaching a speed close to the speed of light, and then is reaching, for example, Earth, let's say in two weeks, and then they immediately return in another two weeks, then for the team on the spacecraft, only four weeks will have passed. But when they come back to the home planet, their parents and so on may already be dead because a much longer period of time has passed on the home planet. In our human thinking, the sacrifice of losing one's own culture would not be acceptable just for a small trip to another planet like Earth. So why would these aliens do that? But then Knut had the funny idea that at least a part of the aliens could prefer a nomadic lifestyle. You know, traveling all the time and never returning to the home planet. Similar to the nomadic tribes that are living in the deserts on Earth. And then Knut also mentioned the possibility that this nomadic space tribe is consisting of many ships and that these ships could do different trips but somehow arrange uh, some meeting points from time to time. Actually, I have to admit that it's not immediately clear to me that this is really possible. Can two spaceships, for example, start from the same point, go to different directions, do different trips, and then come back and the same time has passed for both? I guess this at least requires some very intelligent fine-tuning of the accelerations and so on. But I didn't do special relativity for a long time, so I should think about this longer. Anyway, another topic that discussed in the podcast was the possibility that the aliens might have a permanent station in the ocean on the Earth. And evidence for that would be that actually lots of UFO sightings occur close to the surface of the ocean. And many UFOs have also been reported to emerge from below the sea surface and to rise above into the sky and also the other way around. And in addition, very fast-moving objects have been recorded by sonar underwater. But why would these aliens choose to build their station below the water surface? Well, one trivial reason would be that it's a very good hiding place. But Knut came up with another quite good point. He said that one problem in traveling from planet to planet is that these planets have very different atmospheric conditions. So temperatures are vastly different, pressures, and also the chemical content of the atmosphere, of course. But if the planet has an ocean of water, 
the conditions under the water surface may be much more similar from planet to planet. The pressure and temperature of the water have to be in the correct range to allow for liquid water. The water is at the same time a quite good protection against, for example, violent storms on the surface or also cosmic radiation and so on. Plus, if you are diving to the correct depth, you can even adjust the pressure to a value which is just perfect for your organism or for your spacecraft. So this makes a lot of sense, I think, and it's definitely fun to think about these things. I forgot to mention another funny idea of Professor Knut. The host of the TOE podcast had asked the question, if these UFOs have already been sighted in 1940s, and even much before that, there have been reports in Roman ancient history of so-called flying shields in the sky, then it's strange that these shapes of the UFOs have not changed in all the years since then. I mean, terrestrial technology is evolving recently in a much faster pace. To this, Knut responded, what about if these craft seen in ancient Rome and the ones seen now are the very same? Not just identical, but one and the same. And this could be neatly explained by the same relativistic time dilation phenomenon. If these aliens have visited ancient Rome and then from there started to a short trip close to the speed of light to another planet and returned in their own time, maybe in a few weeks, it may easily be that on Earth a few thousand years have passed and so they suddenly found themselves not in ancient Rome but in our modern time. Anyway, this is just a short glimpse of what you can find in these UFO podcasts. In the moment, I don't know anything more relaxing than listening to this stuff on my balcony with my headphones on. This is somehow so much more exciting compared to the usual stuff of science. With a few exceptions. For example, recently Lex Friedman in his podcast has interviewed an astrobiologist and theoretical physicist, Sarah Walker. And the topic was the origin of life on Earth and alien worlds. And at some point in the conversation, Sarah Walker said that usually we think of the emergence of life on Earth as a one-time event. But there is also a possibility that similar events are happening all the time. And it may even be possible that new types of life are emerging constantly, which we may not even recognize easily. And this is called the shadow biosphere, a term which I at least have never heard before and which I find quite interesting. At another point in the conversation, she mentioned something which I also liked, namely 
that there's a discrepancy between the rules that govern physics and the rules that, for example, govern human behavior. The rules of physics are typically low memory rules, meaning that you can compute the state an infinitesimal time step in the future from the momentary state only. You don't need the knowledge of all the past. But when we think of complex systems or even the behavior of humans, then we may say that our decisions at this point can depend on everything we have learned in the past. Of course, these past experiences have left some traces in the present moment, namely in the detailed connection structure, for example, of your brain cells. But if you would try to predict the behavior of a human using physical laws, which is ridiculous anyway, you would really have to take into account all the details of the present brain structure of this human. So this is a tremendously complex initial situation, which you probably never can figure out completely. So humans are governed by long memory rules and physics by short memory rules. All right, I still have some points left on my list, which I didn't talk about, but I won't this time. I will leave this for a future podcast episode. And instead, I just say thanks for listening and hope to see you again.